Welcome back to Halford and Bruff Canucks Talk Takeover. What's going on? I'm fired up. It's an hour to my holiday vacation. I'm very, very excited about that. The Moj is going to join us here in just a couple of minutes. We'll talk a little NFL with the Moj. Maybe an Ask Us Anything as well. You can get your... If you if you have something you're dying to ask the Moj, hit us up. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can also still get your What We Learn submissions in for a chance to win tickets to the Canucks and the Sharks on December 27th. The best What We Learn submission will win those tickets. Make sure you include the ticket emoji in your text. And again, send those to 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. We will read them in the 830 segment. The official automotive sponsor of Halford & Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. And this hour of Halford & Bruff is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. Dot net uh, as we uh, as we await uh, the presence of the Moj, uh, can, feel free to keep getting your talks in. We'll uh, we'll get more into the game uh, after we chat with the Moj as well. Drancer, uh, before we get uh, Moj on, what did you what did you think of the Zach Wilson meltdown <laughs> on Thursday Night Football last night? Oh, I mean, I mean, uh, it, uh, amazing! Like, first of all, it was incredible. <laughs> But, uh, but you know, Zach Wilson, it seems to me, is almost in a bad spot because the Jets are a good team, right? Like, they don't need a really good quarterback. They need a game manager. They need, you know, uh, just someone who's able to get the ball to, like, really good weapons and not um, be the reason you lose. And I, I still look at Zach Wilson as a guy who you can see it when he makes great plays. Like, there's still a ton of talent there. It's just they can't afford to let him miss these layups. They can't afford to let him suck and learn the league because they're so good and they're actually chasing a playoff spot and the defense is amazing and their weapons are amazing. And, and, and I sort of wonder if that puts additional pressure on him that he's not ready for. I, I just feel like if they move on from Zach Wilson, if last night was the end of the Zach Wilson era, and it probably should be considering how close that Jets team is to being a juggernaut, frankly, like really dangerous... Um, you know, I, I won't be shocked if that's not the last act of Zach Wilson in the NFL, even if it is for the for Zach Wilson with the Jets. Now joining us on the line, he is a presentation of West Coast Auto Group. You hear him every Friday here on Halford and Bruff. He is the Moj. Moj, what's going on? Thanks for making time for us. Oh man, it's cold, isn't it, fellas? Hopefully everybody's staying warm and everybody's staying safe. Yeah. I wanted to talk hockey with Drance. Forget football. I want to talk <laughs> hockey. Hey, if let's you, go. If you want to pitch some questions by Drancer, feel free, Moj. You know, guys, I'm writing a column for Black Press right now a couple times a week, and I'm doing a piece today, actually. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, right now, i got to believe this is the most frustrated um, fan base I've seen during the Canucks' existence because I don't think they have Wow. Hope, right? And, and I'll say that because there are some dark times. You know, if you do your math, I mean, this is an organization that only had two over 500 seasons in their first two decades of existence. But mm. there was always hope. They're, they're always, you know, you always kind of felt that somehow, some way, they would turn things around. But I think, you know, you, you go on Twitter and you read some of the stuff that's going on there with the fan base. You see some of the poll questions that have been out there. And I think that the, the lack of hope all starts with ownership. 
the fact that, yeah, you can change players, you can change coaches, you can change regimes, general managers, scouting departments, but at the same time, the one common denominator that you've seen over the last 10 years with five coaches and three GMs has been ownership. And I just think right now this is the most frustrated, I don't want to say apathetic because they still have emotion, but, man, this is a fan base that's just – I think it's it's almost given up hope with this hockey club. Moj, you know what I think happened is when the changes all happened last year, right? I think fans were kind of saying, all right, now everything's going to be different. There's going to be these big changes. And instead, it's been largely more of the same. And that's just so deflating. And that creates that sense of frustration that you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the roster, it's, you know, it's like baking a cake when you build a team, right? You might have all the ingredients, but you have to have the right amount of ingredients. And right now, when you look at the Canucks, you know, you kind of break down their roster. You know, okay, he's not a bad player. Okay, he's good. Like, he's okay. But when you add it up as a whole, it, it's just not getting the job done on a consistent basis, particularly when it comes to the defensive side of the, the game. You know, I talked to one NHL scout a couple of weeks back, and I said, so what's your take on the Canucks? He goes, well, their, their defense isn't strong enough, and their forwards aren't good enough defensively to compensate for their lack of, you know, talent on the blue line. So it's just, like I said, they, you know, since following this team when they came in the league in 1970, uh, I just look at this fan base right now, and I think to myself, this has to be probably the lowest they've felt in terms of hope, in terms of having that hope to, in a long, long time. Moj, We've been doing a, a year retrospective, 2022 in, in retrospect. The Vancouver Canucks record over the course of this calendar year to this point, 81 games played, 90 points. That's a 556 point percentage, good for 17th in the NHL. Is there something about being smack dab in the middle that you think adds to this hopelessness? I think you're bang on with that because what, you, what did you write last year about the Flames? The sea of eternal me- mediocrity, right? <laughs> I mean, that's when you think about this Canuck team. It's just like, you know, and I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago looking at Tampa Bay and Colorado. I mean, both of those teams, I mean, they went out there and they, they paid the price. I mean, Colorado missed the playoffs, what, six out of seven years? Tampa Bay missed the playoffs a whole bunch of years. When you look at their leading scores last year in the playoffs, the top four scores on both mm. teams were drafted by those organizations. How did they get those players? Well, by being pretty bad and getting a land that's gone high <laughs> or getting the McKinnon yeah. high, right? I mean, you, you have to pay the price and, and get that pick in the top two or three that gets you that franchise or generational player. And, and the Canucks with this, you know, this sea of eternal mediocrity by always being about 500 and just, you know, kind of knocking on the door to get into the playoffs. And, you know, if they do, they get bumped in the first round. You don't get those generational players, those franchise players there. I mean, yeah, they got lucky with Pedersen at five, I guess. But still, you get the idea. You need to be bad to get some good players. And right now, the Canucks just aren't bad enough. Well, what's amazing about Colorado and Tampa Bay, too, is you've got this, like, you know, it's it's easy to say now that they've won cups that those are model organizations. But there's been a wild amount of disappointment that those organizations have endured too. You think about Tampa Bay makes the East, uh, Eastern Conference Final, Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final in 2011, and then miss the playoffs three of the next four years, right? Uh, make the Cup Final uh, in 2016, and then miss the playoffs again twice before going on a historic regular season that ends in a sweep. And, then, and yet through it all, one coaching change, 
Iserman departed, but they promoted his lieutenant a, a wild amount of stability. Meanwhile, in Colorado, like since 2013, you know, there were like there was a point where both the Canucks GM was Mike Gillis and the Avalanche GM was Joe Sackick. And Joe Sackick only recently moved up from being the GM. Like he only recently gave up the GM role to make sure that he kept Chris McFarland. But there's been a wild amount of stability in those organizations relative to a Canucks team that over the same span of time has gone through Gillis, Linden, Benning, and now Jim Rutherford. How, how much do you think that is sort of reflective of the ownership factor? The more things change, the more they stay the same factor that you, you see creating hopelessness in Vancouver. The other thing, too, is when you look at these teams, right, um, you're right. I mean, we can talk about Tampa and Colorado. We can also talk about Buffalo, which has been completely inept, has suffered, and has really done, you know, they've had their issues. But here's the thing. you got to be a bad team for a while, but you have to have the right people making those franchise-altering decisions, the right people bringing in the right coaches, having the right scouting staff, having, you know, the wherewithal to make the right draft picks or acquire the right trades via, or acquire the right players via free agency or trade. So, yeah, okay, you can be bad, but you better have somebody smart who can lead you out of the wilderness and make you a competitive team like Joe Sackick did. I remember, remember guys when Sackick had Duchesne as a trade chip and people were waiting and waiting and waiting, and he said, I'm not making a deal until I feel it's a good deal. He was extremely patient. And he made a blockbuster deal that set up the organization moving forward. So it's, like I said, you just have to have the right people in place to lead you out of the wilderness. And, you know, right now with the Canucks, do they have the right people? Time will tell. We're talking to the Moj here on uh, Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650. You want to do a couple of uh, couple football questions here, Moj? Or? Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll start with a real low light. We were just talking about it before we got you on the line. Zach Wilson, that was tough to watch last night on Thursday Night Football. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the one thing, and you know, you guys have been around athletes at the professional level. I mean, these guys invest so much. They, they you know, people just think that they go out there and they kind of go through the motions or something. I mean, they put in so much hard work in the offseason, during the season. The games are their payoff. That's when they want to excel. That's what, that's what all that hard work is for. And when you go out there and you have the performance that Wilson had and to be booed off the field by the fans, I mean, it, it stings because, you know, what are you working so hard for, right? I mean, I don't think anybody in the real world has that type of feedback, that instant type of feedback. I mean, unless you want to read the inbox on certain days, but you guys get the idea, right? <laughs> you, you, you look at a guy that, you know, goes out there and, you know, Zach Wilson, he's going to take this home with him. He's going to take this... You know, the fans will forget about it in 24 to 48 hours or whatever, but Zach Wilson's going to remember this for a long time. Hopefully it inspires him to get better and to, you know, fulfill the potential that he has. But the other thing you got to remember, too, guys, with progression, progression isn't linear, right? I mean, I always talk about this, that you're going to have situations where you take two steps forward, then you might take three steps back, then you might take three steps forward. So it's a situation with Wilson right now, and his coach talked about it as well, but progression isn't linear he's gonna have highs he's gonna have lows and right now it just feels like the pressure's getting to him in new york 
Moj, Wilson looks to me like a guy with a ton of talent. You can see the wheels. You can see the difficult throws he makes. It just feels like he's so immature when it comes to like baseline competence of running an offense. And as a result, on a Jets team that's kind of closer than than you'd think, um, you know, it, it feels like he's sort of worn out his welcome in a way he maybe wouldn't in a more traditional rebuilding situation. Um, do you think? Do you think he's done in New York? Do you think he's done overall? I don't think he's done overall. I mean, when you're what the number two pick overall, you're going to get plenty of chances, fellas. He, you know, he, he might wind up bouncing around the league. I mean, how, look at Geno Smith. I mean, the guy's 31 and he has a breakout season. Drancher, I dare you to find any analytical model in any sport where you see a player have a breakout year at the age of 31. So, I mean, is Zach Wilson done? <laughs> He's going to get opportunities, and if he finds the right place and the right fit, if he is indeed done in New York, maybe he has the opportunity to fulfill his potential as the number two pick overall in the NFL draft. Uh, Moj, before we let you go, of course, it is an Ask Us Anything Friday here on Halford and Bruff, and uh, I, I've been instructed to make sure that I include an Ask Us Anything from the listeners for you. So this one is from Austin in Langley, who asks, do you have any cool or unique family Christmas traditions? Uh, well, I'll tell you a story. When I was a kid, my dad passed away when I was 19, so you do the math. It was in the 80s. But the big thing in Serbian culture is to roast a pig on Christmas, right? Um, And my dad and one of his good friends would always roast this pig, like, every year. And we had this huge rec room, this huge basement. Well, one year, my dad and his buddy are roasting the pig. They start at, like, 10 o'clock, and they get into the line. By about 3 o'clock, the pig was done, and so were they. And, like, I'll never forget... My mom and my one of my best buddies' moms, like, coming downstairs, and they're yelling at their husbands because, like, yeah, okay, the pig's good, but you guys can't even stand, right? <laughs> and I'll never forget that as long as I live because it was just one of those things that you remember, man. It was, it was too funny. Hey, that's fantastic, Moj. And just before we let you go, actually, we have a couple people texting in. Uh, if there's any update or info you can pass along about Nathan Rourke and what his future might hold. Nothing that you haven't seen on Twitter, although it's ironic that uh, somebody decided to ask that because I just texted a couple of people that I know in the NFL within the last half hour trying to get some information on work and where he stands. So maybe uh, if something does come out, I'll tweet that out later today at The Real Moj on Twitter. All right, there you go. You can follow him on Twitter for your latest Nathan Rourke update. Moj, we always really appreciate it. Have a fantastic holidays. We'll, we'll chat in the new year. Season two and transfer. Next time, I want to hear the private transfer. Do they still run the private transfer? <laughs> the, they've lost your voice uh, over to it, though. But your version's the best one. It's very Leonard Cohen. It's beautiful. No, it's it's actually awful, and I'm glad they did lose it. But it was done in honor of all your hard work and your great work at the Athletic and on uh, Sportsnet. Thanks, bud. Thanks, Moj. Hey, Best of the season to you. Yeah, you as well. That is, of course, Bob the Moj Marjanovic. Uh, Moj on Sportsnet 650 brought to you by West Coast Auto Group. Great service, great selection, just over the bridge in Maple Ridge. Always love chatting with the Moj. Uh, keep getting your What We Learns in. We'll, we'll choose the best one in the next segment. The winner of the Best What We Learn submission contest will get tickets to see the Canucks and the San Jose Sharks on uh, December 27th. Uh, you can also keep your Ask Us Anythings coming in as well. I see a basketball one that's just come in that well, I'll put to you at some point, Drancer. But we should. I mean, we did our year in the v- review. Uh, we should touch on 
the game that we saw last night. And as much as I do want to get into it and kind of break it down, you know, really exciting night, it also feels like you can kind of sum up everything from that game with two words, which is Elias Patterson, right? Like that was, you could not have scripted a better illustration of the impact Elias Patterson can have on this team than missing the last <laughs> two games. They lose 5 1. They cut, he, he comes back. He's involved in every single goal, including the shootout winner, for the team to come back and remain undefeated against the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, I mean, was it a 5-1 loss, but with Without, Patterson? Like, seriously? Uh, honestly, I, I mean, that game had a little bit of everything for any type of Canucks fan. Now, more than anything, it was a good night out for, for any Canucks fan able to be in attendance or any Canucks fan able to buy the Canucks money line at plus 1450, <laughs> which is where it peaked after <laughs> the Myers giveaway on the 5-3 goal. Uh, but, you know, I thought, I thought it was like, I thought the defensive play was abysmal, right? Oh, like no the Canucks doubt. played, the Canucks played so poorly outside of what Pedersen was able to do and occasionally what his teammates were able to do in setting him up, like that JT Miller cross-seam pass to set up the game-tying goal was just sensational in the wake of a game in which, you know, Miller's line was basically ineffectual. Um, but, you know, it was one of those games like this is, I think, where our fundamental disagreement comes in too, Jamie, right? And And although people will be surprised to hear it, like one disagreement we've had over the course of this Canucks season, is I'm higher on them than you. Yes, I think this team is going to be better than, you know, 84 points. I think they're going to end up missing the playoffs by no more than 10. I think they're going to have a lot of games where they look like they're where they're able to stem the tide, where they're able to flatten opponents with that offense, with that power play, with, you know, Pedersen taking over. Um, and, and that game is why, like, it's amazing that the Kraken managed to lose that game considering how much better they looked over 60 minutes, but they don't have Elias Pettersson, the Canucks do, and it showed. That was the entire difference last night. Now, by the way, the Seattle Kraken, I think we can now say, have a Canucks mental break. Like, there's a mental gap there. They can't get over them. And, like, there was no reason to lose that game, and yet it felt, for me anyway, watching it, I was like, at no point have they stuck a stake in the Canucks' nope. heart here. You know, like, even the Myers giveaway, I was like, yeah, okay, Pedersen time. And it just felt throughout like Seattle was going to find a way to lose that game. There's just something about the Canucks jerseys when they play the Kraken. The Kraken can't beat them, no matter how much more complete they are as a side. Well, and a huge part of it last night for me was Elias Pettersson because I, I 100% believed that the Canucks were going to tie that game, that we were going to go to overtime and potentially a shootout. And a huge part of that was just how dangerous Pettersson was every time the puck was on his stick. But you're right. It's, despite the gap in actual like who played well last night, I was also very convinced that the Canucks were going to come back. Uh, Steven North Sandwich says, you know what? That game was fun. At this point, I'll take great. that. It was great entertainment. The team is still a mess defensively, but as long as we have Pedersen, they're still worth watching. And I think that's another really important, you know, we talk about just his impact on the ice and in terms of driving play and helping the team win. But I do think for a team that's put up a lot of stinkers on home ice as well, just having that one guy that you kind of can hang your hat on from an entertainment standpoint, right? That, hey, maybe I'm not... I'm not thrilled with the direction the team is taking. They're out of the playoff race. Who knows what kind of effort I'm going to see. But Elias Pettersson might have a five-point night. Like, that's a, that's a huge <laughs> advantage if you're trying to convince people to come out and invest in your product. you, uh, you It is. And, 
you know, uh, but I think it should raise the stakes for what this team needs to accomplish. Like, if Pedersen is this good, if Pedersen can maintain the form he's shown over the 2022 calendar year, and this team can't sniff the playoffs with that, like, that's an indictment. That shouldn't be acceptable. You know, the fact that Pedersen keeps this team watchable is, is good for business, but the fact that this team can't support a player like that making a run, being put in an opportunity where the games that he's winning with performances like that, you know, uh, don't do more than put them within seven points of the second wild card spot. Like, that's discouraging. That's really discouraging. And so, you know, for me anyway, the excellence that Pedersen is showing right now, the excellence we've occasionally seen from Demko and Hughes, right? Like that to me raises the stakes of what this team needs to do, of the work that needs to be done to get this team on track from a true results perspective because they've got this impressive, you know, collection of talent, these amazing weapons, and you want to see those weapons come to bear in in games that really matter. Um, for me, you know, Pedersen's form, if more than anything, underlines the distance this team needs to travel and the urgency, the Red Robin level urgency with which they need to to get there. <laughs> uh, Greg Ballack, Laddie has uh, something to add here. Yeah, as well. hindsight's twenty twenty. I know Jamie, you already said that you fully expected the Canucks to tie that game towards the end. But what did you guys think about the early goalie pull? About two and a half minutes left, Boudreaux decides to go for it. I thought it was a strong move. I thought the the, the definitely pressure ramped up immediately after the net was empty yeah. so I well, think I think it worked out and it, I think more coaches need to that 233 minute range is, is probably when you should be pulling the goalie I think. if it's you're good, down one it's good to see the vote of confidence from Bruce Boudreaux yeah. right <laughs> since we've heard recently yeah, I didn't think they were going to score in that game now I know that was a three goal deficit not a one goal deficit but yeah that was absolutely the right time to pull the goalie and it paid I, off I, I think you can I think you can pull the goalie earlier to be totally honest with you particularly if you get a power play or if you get like a really good offensive zone draw with a rested group of top players like if that if that opportunity comes with three and a half four and a half minutes to go you should go for it because that's your best chance to win, especially with the way that like, you know, Vancouver is not a super deep team. When you're trailing, there's like six players you want on the ice that you feel really comfortable with, right? It's not like you can roll three lines yeah. and feel comfortable about them giving you a goal. So, you know, I mean, what you, you don't really want to have like an Amon Joshua drives shift at any point, for example, right? So if you're loading up and going for it, like take your shot within the last four minutes, whenever your top players are rested enough to really take their best shot at tying the game. Canucks did a fantastic job. I mean, there was really only one look at an empty net by the Kraken. It was a heavily contested backhand by Jordan Eberle from, from center ice. The Canucks were all over them, six on five. Miller and Pedersen working the half walls the way they do on the power play. They looked great, and that was just a fabulous piece of work from JT Miller, who who I really had thought was playing poorly all night. But once they both got into that position, you just felt like they had control over the proceedings. Pull the goalie, pull the goalie early. I think Boudreaux manages end games pretty aggressively, like more aggressively than average. He could even be more aggressive in my view, but I think that's actually a strength of his. I think he's got a really good feel for when to um, take his best shot, and I think he does it pretty consistently so long as he's not completely discouraged by what he's seeing from his team. Last text before we break. This one says, Nights like last night really make you believe PD could be the best player on a cup winner if only he could get the supporting cast. I think that's well put. Keep your thoughts coming in, 650, 650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll have a quick chat about the Seahawks with Brady Henderson from ESPN on the other side. Then we'll get into your What We Learns and your Ask Us Anythings as well. So hit us up with those. It is Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet, 650. 
welcome back to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance filling in for Mike and Jason. They will be back in the new year. This hour of Halford and Bruff brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. And of course, the official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, and you can get your What We Learned or Ask Us Anything submissions in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Before we get into those, we're going to have a quick check-in on the Seattle Seahawks uh, with our pal Brady Henderson from ESPN, who, of course, does a great job covering the Seahawks. Brady, thanks very much for making time for us. How are you? Yeah, you got it, fellas. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. We're dealing with weather, as much of the continent is right now. Did you Were you able to make it to uh, to Kansas City all right? Um, haven't left yet, but my flight got changed. Uh, it was, yeah, I got canceled because of weather, so on a later flight, but, uh, gonna get there hopefully late tonight and cover a football game tomorrow that I don't think is going to be all that close. Uh, but we'll talk about that. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will. Weather is, weather is bad here as well. Well, best of luck with the travel. I know it can be very, very hairy right now. Um, before we get into the matchup with the Chiefs, you know, Geno Smith gets the Pro Bowl nod this week. And obviously a, a tremendous individual honor for the player. We all know the story of Geno Smith and the season he's having. What does it mean also just for the franchise, for the Seahawks as a whole, to see Geno Smith get that honor for this season? Well, I, I think to some degree it is validation of the decision that they made uh, to trade Russell Wilson, you know, believing that he was a declining player. Uh, you know, that was – we forget now. It's easy to forget now just because he's been so bad this year. But that was a really tough decision to make, to trade a, a franchise quarterback, you know, who at 33 years old, you know, should have a lot left. And so uh, – but they made that trade. And, you know, I say it's, it's validation to some degree because, remember – pretty much everybody in the building thought that Drew Locke was going to be their guy. And of course that didn't happen. And so um, it's not as though they saw this in Geno Smith. I mean, Pete Carroll certainly saw enough in him uh, to give him a chance to, to win that starting job. But everybody that I talked to with that team thought that Drew Locke was going to be the guy uh, that he should be, get the opportunity to start because, you know, they, they thought they knew what Geno Smith was. They thought they knew that he was, you know, a good backup quarterback, and they thought that Drew Locke, as the younger player with more upside, uh, or younger, you know, more athletic player, had more upside. And yet, here is Geno Smith uh, playing at a Pro Bowl level. And, and you know, this is not like he didn't sort of back into this Pro Bowl. This is this is a well-deserved Pro Bowl honor. He was, you know, one of the, the two best quarterbacks in the NFC all season long, uh, along with Jalen Hurts. And so, um, it's it's. A good thing for the Seahawks. It's an even better thing for Smith, knowing that you know he's got the the contract negotiation coming up, uh, and having a Pro Bowl on your resume is going to help a lot when you're trying to you know get as much money as possible in that next deal. What's a bigger deal for the Seahawks this weekend in terms of a hypothetical outcome? A miracle win over Kansas City, or a Rams miracle win over the Broncos, improving the Seahawks draft position? Oh boy, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's. I, I think the Rams can beat Denver. I, I just don't. Yeah, know me if too. The Seahawks can. Yeah, I, I don't know if the Seahawks can beat Kansas City. And you know, this this would. I was talking uh, to some other Seahawks reporters about this, and we were in agreement that this would be on the level of the Beastquake 2010 playoff game against the defending <laughs> champion Saints. Like this would be that level of upset when you consider everything that's 
stacked against the Seahawks in this game, you know, missing one of their, I don't know, three, four best players and Tyler Lockett. Uh, you're also down to your third stringers at strong safety in what is probably the the one game where you need to have be really good at strong safety against the best tight end in football and Travis Kelsey. Uh, you know, then you throw in the weather on top of that. Uh, and, you know, obviously Kansas City is way more used to playing in, in really cold weather like this than Seattle. And so uh, there's so much stacked up against the Seahawks that I, I I just don't see them winning this game. But the good thing for them is that they don't really have to win this game to make the playoffs. There, there's there's a lot of routes that they can go where they could lose this game and still make it. Um, you would almost certainly have to win those next two games at home, which are a lot more winnable than this one. Uh, so I think this is a game where if they survive without any further injury, um, I think they're going to be in okay shape to, to make a run at the playoffs. And, and playoffs or not this year, Brady, you know, how much does the performance of Geno Smith, but also a lot of the other players on the team and the rookie class in particular, how much does that maybe change what they're looking to do in the off season compared to where we were, you know, coming into this season where we wouldn't sure we weren't sure how competitive the team was going to be this year. You know that, that rookie class, I think, is is a is going to be a nice silver lining to the season, regardless of where it ends up. And you know, if, if they don't make the playoffs, I'd say you could go back and, and look to what the expectations look back at what the expectations were before the season. This was not a, a team that was expected to compete for a playoff spot, and it was a transition year. That's what everybody thought. That's what I thought. And I think that what was at the time, at least, what would constitute a successful season is if you could look at your team and identify a, a young core that looks like it could be the nucleus of a championship team. And with this draft class, um, I think they've got that. Now, I, I do wonder if some of those guys are hitting the, you know, proverbial rookie wall where, you know, you're into game, what what is this going to be, 15 now? Remember, those guys are used to college seasons that are, go 12, 13 games. And so I think a lot of those guys or some of those guys – I think it might be getting tough for them now because they're in a much longer season. And so, but, but at any rate, that looks like the nucleus of a really good football team down the road. And so um, I think that's going to be a silver lining for this team. But that said, they've got a massive hole on the front seven of their defense. And, you know, for all the talk about, well, you know, they could draft a quarterback at two or three or four, wherever that first round pick from Denver ends up being, I think it's going to be really, really hard to pass up on a defensive player because this is probably your one shot to get that stud, mm. you know, defensive tackle uh, or edge rusher that you just can't get unless you're picking in the top five, top ten of the draft. Brady, really appreciate the time. Best of luck getting to Kansas City. Enjoy the game and have a safe and happy holidays. All right. Thanks for having me, fellas. See ya. That is Brady Henderson. Thanks, Brady. Does, does a great job covering the Seahawks. For ESPN, uh, final minutes of the show here, Halford and Bruff with, with Drance and Dodd on Sportsnet 650. We'll get into your What We Learns. We'll get into your Ask Us Anythings as well. It is an Ask Us Anything Friday. I wanted to start with this one uh, from one of our regular – well, I'm going. I'm doing an Ask Us Anything, Balak, not a What We Learned here. We still have to print those out, don't uh, we? I don't know. I don't know how it works. <laughs> you should know that. I think we did. Okay. We just did. So All right. Well, go. we just did. <laughs> I'll start with a question for one of our uh, our regular Canucks talk texters, our guy Chet in Burnaby, who says, will Pedersen set the franchise record for most points in a season for the Canucks sometime in his career, given the uptick in league scoring? So, of course, the record for points in a season belongs to Henrik Sedin in 0910, 112 points. Uh, Elias Pedersen, I put this out on Twitter this morning 94 points 
in his last 82 games. And that includes a stretch, you know, going all the way back to December and January of last season before he had really turned it on and started to produce at this level. Now, I, I think as you would say, he's he's in his statistical prime right now, Drancer, right? Like the yep. next couple years, very much his statistical prime. It's it's not a given, but it's certainly not out of the question that he has that kind of everything comes together, his scoring spikes, and he does eclipse that number again, as Chet and Burnaby said, especially when you consider the scoring context around the league. I'm going to fade this take. I say no, and not necessarily because of Pedersen himself, but more because of what's around him. You talk to Henrik and Daniel Sedin about why their scoring spiked in their late 20s, and they'll tell you, First of all, they weren't at their peak. It's not that they had a late peak. They were they were after their peak. It's just that the team around them got so much better. Yeah. And their scoring became a product of how well they played as a team. Right? Daniel would say, uh, or Daniel will tell you, I, I would you know finish up the night and I would be like, I had an okay game, but I had three points. <laughs> and it was because of what my teammates were doing. It was because of how well we played as a group. Uh, at the end of the day, Pedersen's not going to flirt with Henrik's single-season Canucks scoring record until he's got at least four or five defensemen that can put the puck in his hands in stride in the neutral zone, and currently he has one. So Canucks have a lot of work to do to add to their vertical attack to really convert off of just how dangerous Pedersen can be on the rush. The power play is so good that it maybe gives him a bit of a, a bit of a shot, but his shooting, like the, the, the issue is, is that the power play doesn't run through him. It's not mm. really set up to maximize his point structure. Like think about what Pedersen sees when he receives a pass on that right side half wall, right? Like he's the dominant shooting threat, but that shot is hard to score on, right? Like it's not a, a sh- it's not a shot that's going to be a super efficient way for this Canucks team to convert. Um, when he gets the puck, right up high, there is another lefty, Quinn Hughes, not a shooting threat from the right side half wall. J.T. Miller on the other circle, not a shooting threat from the uh, right side half wall. Right? No, no neither of those not, guys can one time. The yeah, pop. not a shooting threat one off a pass pop. from Pedersen. Yeah. So, so he, his options are shoot, and his playmaking options are down low. Now he's become immense at that. We saw it twice last night. Right? The Canucks created. Um, you know, backdoor taps basically from Pedersen in that spot. Uh, Besser, the no- most notable one. Uh, but you know, the the fact is is that his playmaking window is narrow. It's it's all directed toward the net. If that makes sense, you see what I'm saying. He doesn't have yep. up high opportunities to create assists. So uh, as such, the power play functions really well with Pedersen demanding attention. But Pedersen's biggest value to the power play is as a playmaker for deflections and as a deterrent force that, that opens up more points opportunities for the likes of JT Miller and Quinn Hughes, who gets to sort of change the direction on where the play is going as, as such, like he's not set up right now, I think to really flirt with Henrik's record for, for power play alignment reasons and the overall skill level of Vancouver's blue line and their inability to move the puck. You know, another sneaky uh, franchise record that I'm watching. So the record for assists in a season also belongs to Henrik Sedin in that same year, 0910 with eight, 83 assists on the year. Quinn Hughes has 28 assists in 28 games right now. Now, he's missed a few games, so that would have to tick up, right? But 
a lot of what you just said about the power play, I mean, it sets up well for Quinn Hughes because so much of it does run through him on that power play. And again, I'm not saying that would be so cool. He's going to do it, but like he could have like one goal and 83 assists or something. You know what I mean? Like that, what a that's season. totally in play for Quinn Hughes. And that, that, just looking through the kind of franchise records, I was like, you know what? He's that, that is uh, that's one that's in play for Quinn Hughes at some point in his career. Uh, I'll, I'll fade that for now, but I agree with you that at some point that could happen. And that one to me actually feels more realistic in the next two years because of how this team sets up and how reliant they are on Quinn Hughes to move the puck. Here's here's one thing, though, that I'd say he needs if he's going to do that. He needs a defenseman, uh, like a regular defense partner that, that brings a little bit more to the table than Luke Shen does, which is not criticism of Luke Shen. Like Luke Shen knows where his bread is buttered. Um, And he made a really nice play, by the way, like a sneaky nice play to put the puck on net on the Canucks' second goal last night. Uh, Shen doesn't make mistakes, and I I don't think he plays poorly offensively. He's just not a dynamic presence there, obviously. And until Quinn Hughes has a partner who can help him maybe drive a little bit more in terms of offense and maybe contribute a bit more with some point shot goals, I think that's going to be a a record that's hard for him to match from the back end. Uh, We'll read some what we learns here. Uh, This one, a lot of Elias Pettersson, no surprise, what we learns coming in. This one from Riley and Kamloops says, what we learned, if the Canucks can't fly out of Vancouver for the game today, everyone could just hop on Petey's back and he could get them there. That's from (laughs) Riley and Kamloops. (laughs) But the the Canucks have arrived in Edmonton and boy, are Petey's arms tired. (laughs) I just flew in. (laughs) Uh, Pons in Vancouver says, what we learned watching Elias Pettersson last night was a warm cup of coffee on a cold blizzard day. And he also says, stay safe out there. Everyone appreciate that. Fawns in Vancouver. The mulled, the mulled wine game yes. from Elliot. The mulled Patterson. wine, some cozy yeah. socks, Christmas music make, on the stereo. Make no mistake. It, it was spicy. <laughs> and at the end of it, the Kraken had a hangover. <laughs> uh, goal again, Gary texts in. What we learned is that when the Canucks don't have Pedersen, my kids' under-15 ball hockey team would look like champs playing against them. No. That's from Goal Game Gary. Listen, <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Hyperbole much, Gary. <laughs> I love that you're like, you're about to take it like completely literally and like bust out the stats for like, no, why I that wouldn't be completely. the case. This that is wouldn't why be the case. a 15-year-old That's hockey an outrageous team claim. could not beat the Canucks. <laughs> you hear oh, r- ruffling <laughs> papers in the background? The, 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 the Canucks without Pedersen could get beaten by Airbud. Like, no, no, they couldn't. A dog can't play hockey. <laughs> Not with that attitude. Stop it. There's no rule in the rule book. There's no rule. Would a dog There's be- There's no now, rule against a dog playing? Do you, know, do you know that Roger Nielsen, that Roger Nielsen used to use his dog in Peterborough Pete's practices to, to show them that his dog could forecheck, uh, could, could like maintain his forechecking schemes? He trained his dog to effectively like chase the puck based on various locations, and then he'd bring his dog out for practice and shame his players, showing them that his dog was better at that- executing his <laughs> forechecking schemes than they were. You're making this up. That's a true that story. absolutely no, no. incredible. 1,000% true Roger Nielsen story. Now, now, dog that, could that's my what we learned then, because I had no idea. That's, Before, that's, yeah. that's hilarious. We, we all learned something Embarrassed professional there. hockey players with a dog. No, no, they were they were, they were major junior players. This was it as serious. Embarrassed children with a dog. Embarrassed children. Embarrassed children, yeah. Even worse. In, in line with the holidays. <laughs> They're not even making money. This dog can play better than you, kids. Before we move on, and I will say, we're given the tickets to the game two goal goal a game gary and that was uh, a decision by uh, by our producer a dog so goal a game gary for his take 
saying that his kids For under his 15 hyperbole. ball hockey wow. game. Yeah, I knew I knew it would tick you off, Drancer, but there you go. You're right. He I'm wins upset. the tickets. He wins the tickets. Now, before we move on, again, would Air Bud be better as a baseball player or a hockey player? Got to be oh, hockey, right? Neither. Baseball, he could do cause, neither. Cause you can't you say have... neither. No, no, you can't it, say neither. It, it could be I'm hockey. saying hockey neither. Skates. Yeah, I would say. I would say he can run around. Yeah, but on baseball, that's one less thing to worry about, right? Because with baseball, he's just running around in his paws. On on hockey, he'd be wearing skates. A dog on skates. I don't know. That's a lot, that's a lot to worry about. I think. Do you think he was allowed to? If he was allowed to not play with skates and was put in like uh, truly the world's greatest gear. Like that protected him because I mean you know at yeah. the end of the day an NHL slap shot a dog you don't want a, that hitting a dog but I do think a dog could maybe play goalie if he's incredibly well oh, come protected. on now yeah. <laughs> come on now this is what we think That's of your position you this is what we think no, of your position no I'm, I'm just saying I'm just saying like like getting in front of things dogs are good at like if you ever like I try to play fetch with my dog sometimes and he'll like cut off ball like in the house. And he'll like cut off balls at the pass. He's like actually quite tricky to get balls by. Um, we've all seen, of course, the viral dog video who like excels at stopping that plastic puck. But if you played a game with like plastic pucks uh, that wouldn't hurt a dog and that all the shots were like under 50 miles per hour, I think a dog could stop some shots. Their post seals will get ripped apart, Drancer. <laughs> Come on. They can't deal with east west passing. Sharp angle goals everywhere. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm not saying they'd be good. I'm just saying physiologically, at least they could do it as opposed to like trying to skate like a dog with four skates try it has to learn how to skate and then has to hold a stick in its mouth good luck no chance no, oh, not even airbud hey, by the way by Air the way Bud. have you seen the plot descriptions for the airbud puppies I, like spin-offs i have not believe it or not i have not seen them so the airbud puppies spin-offs the puppies are now like in space saving the world so this is like escalated even there's like further. an airbud universe like every <laughs> okay one thing i've learned with having young children is every kid's show starts off with like oh like i'm a i'm like a nurse for my toys and i sew them up when they get rips and then four seasons in it's like i've opened the gate to the alternate dimension yeah. where the toys live and I now i you know and it's yeah. like what is happening I like it all escalates a, it's all so fast and furious level escalation <laughs> yes, there's exactly. this airbud cinematic universe that exists now because of that one movie in the 90s there is though and it's all filmed in vancouver i think i'm pretty sure yeah there you go but yes the fact that they're in space is amazing so by the time you get to super buddies which is the latest one okay the buddies find five magical rings from the planet inspiron (laughs) each one gives them unique superpowers butterball gets super strength buddha gets mind control rosebud gets super speed B-Dog gets super elasticity, and Mudbud gets invisibility. Together, the buddies must use the ring responsibly with the help of Megasis slash Captain Canine in order to stop a power-hungry extraterrestrial warlord named Commander Drex, who wants to take the rings for his own and and gain full dictatorship of Inspiron. The buddies soon learn that they don't need to have superpowers to become superheroes. Please note, Drancer is not reading this. He's memorizing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is all by memory. That's this actually is where like- This is where the airbud. It's like... You start with like dog beats kids in basketball for yeah. a high school team or, or elementary school team, and it's like okay. And by the end, it's like the super buddies use the power rings to defeat Commander Drex, what? and it's like that's still less ridiculous than Airbud coming on as a third string goaltender <laughs> to make the crucial save at the Women's World Cup, much less winning the World Series. 
MVP. He won MVP. He was the best player in the World Series. Like, that's still more ridiculous than the Commander Drex. That's almost what you just explained is almost like exactly of a trajectory of Paw Patrol. Where, like, season one, episode one, it's like, the pigs escaped from their pen on the farm, and we have to round them up. And then it's like, a meteor crashed, and it gave us all special powers. I can shoot fire out of my paws. I'm like, this (laughs) this mayor built a giant (laughs) robot, and he's trying to take over the town. You're like, what is happening? Why does it have to go this far? Uh, uh, it's it's wild. Drancer, can we please get your thoughts on the chimp from Most Valuable Primate? Yeah, they taught him to um, skate and shoot pretty well. Yeah, but I mean, a, a, a chimp at least, like, they, it doesn't have a poseable thumb, but, like, at least a chimp is, like, humanoid. Like, at least I could see a chimp, you know, <laughs> like, at least, uh, at least a chimp, like, has peripheral vision, right? Like, a dog's eyes are at the front of its head. It couldn't possibly swing a bat and connect with a ball, considering the physiology of, like, holding a thing in your mouth. You couldn't even look at the pitch. You couldn't even look at the pitch. The chips could have don't some have hockey eyes IQ. at the side of their heads. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. Could, it's could so you please annoying. make this an athletic article? Oh, my goodness. like a full breakdown of all the, the, the sports movies with animals. <laughs> you guys don't. What is more realistic? Y- A-Dog and Laddie don't realize this, but this is, like, not even close to the first time it's come up on Canucks Talk. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, not even close. Oh, th- no, no. This is a bit. <laughs> it's like <laughs> a running bit about how much Air Bud annoys Trans. <laughs> It's it's really annoying. It really, it genuinely like I I don't mean to say this because it's cruel and I love dogs, but Airbud ruins Christmas for me every year. <laughs> okay, wow. And, and then you come out and say he could play goal. Trying, what, what do you well, think that's going to do to no, me? No, I'm saying. I'm saying it's better. It's I, I'm more likely to believe that than that a dog could skate. Again, like it couldn't shoot because it would have to look away from the puck to wind up. And then still connect like even shooters can't do that. It's hard. Mm. It's hard to not. It's hard to like shoot without looking down. Even an NHL player has guaranteed lost sleep over this. Somebody, it's going to keep me up all night. Uh, somebody texted in that uh, what we learned, you guys are, when it comes to reading the public text, you guys are more inconsistent than the Canucks. And we have once again proven that, upholding the traditions of Halford and Brough here on their show. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, thank you to everyone for texting in. Thank you to everyone for listening this week. And also, as I mentioned, when we were doing our year in review, it's the uh, the last show for Drance and I of 2022 uh, and I just yeah, want to say, for listening yeah, to us, thanks guys. for listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. We really appreciate it. It's maddening sometimes talking about the Canucks, uh, but we love doing it with you every day. And it really means a lot to us that you tune in and uh, make us a part of your day. Be safe out there today. Be safe over the holidays. Have a fantastic holidays. And we will catch you again in 2023. You're listening to Sportsnet 650.